If you study the history of America carefully, and I believe 10 out of 100 historians are more likely to tell you America, this country, was founded on this Christian principle. So in other words, we know since the beginning of the country, the evangelical communities has been rooting so much about the people's morality and also why we should keep this country this way. Of course, fast forward. In the year of 2023, America is standing at the crossroads, not just politically speaking, but meanwhile, being a Christian or preserving this Christian value is also facing some challenges. However, did you know that not only this American Christian impact is changing the society within America, but meanwhile, it also can link to other continents as well. For example, how about the continent of Africa? And to be specific, how about some of the countries in Africa today are also experiencing this, what we call American evangelical help in order to change the social and also the cultural identities. So that's why today in this episode, we need to talk about how the Christian movement today is happening in some of the countries of Africa, and also it could change the fate of the countries. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite Caleb. And again, Caleb is a Nigerian journalist, and he's the co-founder and a managing editor at Minority Africa. Well, Caleb, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you so much, Will. Glad to be here. Well, Caleb, again, I'm very excited about our conversation, again, mainly based on the article that you recently published, which is entitled, How U.S. Evangelicals Help Homophobia Flourish in Africa. Now, can you help us to understand, again, as we mentioned before, when we talk about this Christian movement or Christian value, it's no stranger than America today is standing at the crossroads. Now, in the article, I want to start with the country of Uganda. You mentioned, and I quote, Uganda's parliament is set to debate a new anti-gay bill recently, and as the country president called for a medical opinion on the deviance of the homosexuals. Number one, what is the challenge for the LGBT community in Uganda today? And why do you think such movement is linked to Americans' evangelicals' movement? What do you say to that? Thanks, Phil. I, I, I think that the fundamental challenge, of course, is homophobia, always homophobia. Um, and I guess the, the, the distinct thing, perhaps, about places like Uganda is how it manifests, mm. but the fabric of the problem is still the same, mm. right? Um, and just some context, right? You've, 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 you've talked about this article was published two days before the parliament debated the anti-gay bill, mm. which was eventually passed. Um, and I think only two members of parliament even like opposed it, but it was, it was, it was like an overwhelming yes is to mm. no. Um, and this bill, um, stipulates the death penalty for the crime of like what they call aggravated homosexuality mm. uh, and also like would imprison a landlord for I think five or ten years if you have to rent your house to a gay person mm. so it's pretty dr draconian right so I guess like in that way that's of course a fundamental problem of that queer people in Uganda face which is the fact that there is um, sort of like state-sponsored state-backed um, and institutionalized and probably now even legal um, sort of like violence against them or 
legal ways of enacting violence against them. Mm. Um, and it's not to say that the, the, the violence is new, it's just to say that the problem with the bill like this is the fact that it will now be legalized. Um, and I'm Nigerian, which you talked about. And in 2014, I believe, we passed a similar, not as not as draconian, now in hindsight when we think about it, but we, we did pass the Same-Sex Marriage Pro- Prohibition Act. Mm. Um, and what happened after that act was passed is a similar thing that we've seen happening in Uganda when, when similar bills have been debated is even if nobody quote-unquote gets like tried under that law just like the debate as a whole already creates this crime that essentially legitimizes and calls for and perhaps even rewards you know to, to, to a great extent violence um or or sort of like releasing the names of queer people or exposing queer people you know it's the it plays like there's a system in which the state then starts to like reward these kind of acts but what's really peculiar like about it is like you pointed out it's not essentially um it's not entirely because the rhetoric of it is not entirely you know peculiar to africa mm. right and if you kind of like trace where have we seen this kind of like similar rhetoric before you land in the us mm. um which is sort of like the the reason why i wrote that piece because and for, even from the days of like Puritan Christianity, so in the 17th century, when you know of like European colonialism on, on like American land or what would become the U.S., um, there was kind of like there were like a, like a lot of they, they had. When you sort of like look at the sodomy cases that were tried, then you would sort of see Christianity being front and center. So it's, mm-hmm. it's the same language. You must note um, they would like tell people or they would like say people were corrupting. Population, they would use um, sort of like terms like the same thing we are seeing now as like deviance. They would also there was a particular example I found of a person who I think was called something something I think Joseph or, mm. or something who's Muslim I don't remember fully mm. who who was sentenced I think to being beaten um, because he tried to have like homosexual relations with another man. Mm. But what's so interesting about it is the other man um, who Joseph, who I'm calling Joseph, might not be Joseph, but the person who was sentenced was having a homosexual relation with another man. Mm. But the second man reported him for it, right? And so when the sentence was passed, um, it was going to be this person who reported the perpetrator, quote unquote, was going to stand by and watch as he's being beaten. Mm. Um, and so we sort of see from the very onset of European colonialism and Christianity, we see that the religion essentially rewarding people for, you know, turning their back on queerness and for resisting queerness, you know, and for, um, you know, leaking it or exposing it. And the same logic, the same framework carried on into evangelical Christianity, which is how we have like this whole ex-gay movement where we see um, people essentially, or the church, um, or the evangelical church more specifically, essentially has big certain people to say, to talk about being previously gay. Um, and we've seen a similar thing happen in Uganda as well. So I think all of this just to say that the, pro- that, that, that the problems that I think people in Uganda face is fundamentally, of course, homophobia, um, state-backed violence, but it's also evangelical influence into like, what then manifests as this problem that I've talked about. Mm. You know, Kayla, it's interesting that how you describe that today, when we look at um, homosexual community, of course, that we know, let's just start from the U.S. It's, it's rather dangerous that we mixed 
politics with religion today, particularly in the U.S. Because again, uh, you are living in the U.S. today. Of course, that you follow that how today social movement tend to send stronger messages to the average citizens, and of course, mainly most the politicians should also follow the social movements within the states. Now, my next question: Let's go back to Uganda's parliament. You mentioned that this bill was shortly passed, and what was the policy before the bill was passed? So, in other words, I guess we need to get a little deeper: is how did the members within the LGBT community in Uganda live before the bill was officially set to table? Because we we know that again for the U.S. and from any other countries. We tend to put the word democracy on the table, and that's why we link to the social movement, to the political movement. So, was democracy, or was there any democratic、uh, freedom for LGBT community before the、uh, the policy or the、uh, the rules were to pass? Or you could see years ago something was on the way, despite that the the missing presence of the evangelical Christians in America. Help us to understand that. That's a great question, I, and I think what's a really helpful sort of like way to look at it is this is not the first time Uganda is passing a bill of this nature,、mm. right? So that's that's also something that's good to keep in mind.、Mm. Um, and if you kind of look at what what is the history of such bills, again, it's never been a perfect place for queer people.、Mm. Um, I'm not Ugandan, you know. I'm. I'm Nigerian. I lived、sure. in Uganda. Went to school there.、Right. Um, but again, you know what? What the the contexts are、um, different, but they're still in so many ways similar. And、mm. what sort of like unites us again is again European colonialism,、mm. right? So what happened is colonialists had this sodomy laws, right? So they they already extend sodomy laws in Uganda and places like Nigeria, which is why a lot of times people are asking, like, so like, why do you have to? Create new laws anyway when they already、mm. laws, right? It's just people feel like like what 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 is very peculiar about this current bill is that it focuses a lot on what they kind of call homosexual recruitment、mm. and what they consider as recruitment is, which is why they are like now targeting landlords.、Um, is they just don't want you to be criminalized for being gay, but they want you they want to sniff out basically every space in which you can exist. They don't even want you to to have a home clearly because they say you can't live in the house or a landlord can't rent to you. So where where are you supposed to live? Um, and I think that that's what makes this law so draconian. But as I was saying, a, a lot of、um, former British colonists、um, have all have、um, sodomy laws, right? Some countries、um, have been able to like repeal or de- decriminalize, for instance, Botswana, which decriminalized、um, same-sex marriage.、Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that、uh, for so many others like Uganda, this this is still in the law. So in two thousand and fourteen, they passed. Another anti-gay bill, right, which was signed into law by the president, but was shortly after repealed.、Mm. Um, what all of these things do, however,、um, is that they sort of create a climate in which, again, as I said earlier, they exacerbate violence. So it's it's not to say violence is not existent, but it's like everything else, right? When the media、um, frames something, when there's a panic around something, it becomes more more noticeable, right?、Mm. It becomes Much more a focus of attention.、Mm. So it's, ne- it's never been a perfect country.、Um, it's always had these spurts and like bursts of panic.、Mm. Um, so like last year, this time last year, there was not this much panic. 
But now there is this much panic. And I can tell you again how this whole panic began shortly. But what happens at every single panic point is the violence that queer people face is exacerbated. The spaces in which they can even exist is, mm. is a sort of shrink even further, mm. right? And we saw in 20, I believe 2011, um, when David Kato, who was a Ugandan queer mm. activist who was murdered, um, again, similar context, uh, uh, like there was panic, a newspaper released a list of 100 top homosexuals in Uganda, put their pictures, put their home addresses in, in some instances, and also put like a picture of a hangman noose next to them, basically mm. saying, kill them, mm. right? So similar panic. Um, but I think, and you see, what really worries me about this kind of panic is people's lives actually at stake, you know? So in the 2009 to 2014 era, you know, David Kato was, was killed, mm. right? Um, in his own home. So at the end of the day, you know, all of these things that some people sort of treat as a game or what um, or what people sort of see as like, you know, propaganda or like spreading propaganda, like this, there's actually like real life impact of mm. the, you know, like at the cost of this like hustle, there's actually real people who are actually at stake. It's not just a debate. It's not, which is why I find it very problematic when I see people now organizing sort of like conversations between like members of parliament and activists. Mm. And I'm like, well, what are we talking about? Like, what are you, you know what you're supposed to do? Like, what are we, what is the argument meant to be? What is the conversation? What is the, what is the, what is the output of a conversation where you bring somebody who is vehemently anti-gay and somebody who is mm. pro-gay? What do you hope to happen like in that discourse? Um, and, and I think it's, 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 it's much more. So I guess essentially what I'm trying to say in context is as, as, as we've seen in places like Nigeria and Ghana, and Cameroon, when a bill is debated, when panic is created, already existing conditions are kind of like get worse for people, right? So it was never a haven. Uganda has always been imperfect. They have been serious cases of human rights violations against queer people in Uganda always. Mm. But the, the the level at which that happens is going to greatly increase with a bill like this at the forefront. You know, Caleb, it's interesting that when we talk about human rights issue today, that particularly from the U.S. perspective, Christian leaders and Christian, uh, we'll say, icons uh, tend to be very loud and bold to step in and make sure that people understand in besides America, but other countries should also pay attention to the human rights violation. Now, let's go back to the article. Within the article, you also mentioned some of the famous and well-known names of the Christian leaders in the U.S. And also, meanwhile, this is what you wrote, and I quote, a made in the U.S. movement and ideology is polarizing African countries and harming and endangering LGBTQ plus people. So, Mike, Akela, my next question is very simple. Do you think it's fair for American Christian icons that you mentioned those people in the article should meddling or should actually get involved with those social issues? around the world, particularly the countries in Africa, but because for, uh, I mean, the continent of Africa, for example, because we know that those icons are rather well-known in America, but meanwhile, if they don't know the history or if they don't know the political system or social systems within each country, it's rather difficult for them to make the message loud and clear. So do you think these American Christian icons should step in 
other countries' social or political movement? And if so, how effective do you think their messages or their presence are? What do you say to that? I think that you know it's it's a, a, a lot of times, and I grew up in the Christian church, so, so mm. I know. But like a lot of times, there's what what happens in Christianity often is sort of like a need to sort of justify mm. why it exists, right? And you sort of only arrive at that level of justification if you're able to spin a web of what mm. I consider to be lies. Mm. Um, you only are able to like sort of arrive. You only are able to have a good if you have an evil. Mm. So when, when, when we think of it in that way, you know, the the church needs there to be gay people mm. so that they can say we are fighting against gay people. You know, it needs there to be like abortion so they can say we're fighting against abortion mm. and what it does is it it will kind of go to a very great extent to construct these movements as this it's, it's again that like, like the binary of god versus satan or mm. you know god and lucifer right there's two sides there's good there's bad there has to be good or there has to be bad um and i think that whether or not I, of course, I, I don't think it's fair for them to meddle, mm. you know, but I know that I can't stop them from meddling because meddling is crucial mm. to the system as a whole. It's crucial to their design. The design of the church is to meddle. Mm. The question again is like, in what though is what becomes the question, but by original design, they will always meddle. Um, and that, that's why I, I quoted the letter in 1981 by Jerry Fowler, where mm. he was saying essentially the same things that people are saying now. They are recruiting our children. They are recruiting our children. They cowed our power. I know I watched the video of a parliamentarian in Uganda saying, if all the boys are gay, who will our daughters marry? Such like simplistic, like thinking, you know, mm. but, but it's still the same. It's still the same talking points, you know, from, from the 17th century to 1981 to present day. Um, and I think that the strategies are actually quite effective. Mm. But again, I, I, I also, you know, what, what's so interesting to me is it seemed, you know, as, that as people were more accepting of you know gay rights in the US, which wasn't always the case mm. as we know, but as people got more accepting of it, you know, it kind of seemed as though the church started to like plant its tentacles elsewhere to again spread the same anti-gay narratives. Mm. Um, and what you also find when you kind of study, because I also research anti-LGBT propaganda now as a researcher as well. So like mm. when you kind of study these figureheads who they select or these movement leaders, what you find is a lot of the people who are talking about, like let's say a lot of the people at the forefront of anti-gay efforts in Uganda um, are also very connected or, still, uh, or also very much share on their social media pages or through, through their platforms anti-trans rhetoric of what's happening in the U.S. as well, mm. right? So in, in some ways, what's happening in the U.S. now, which is more of trans people after your children, because we're, we're, we've kind of evolved past gay rights mm. right not entirely but somewhat mm. um and so the church knows that the next place to sort of like pitch their tent is with you know trans rights because that's mm. sort of seems like a much more easier ground for them mm. to spread their propaganda in right and mm. they do exactly just that mm. um but what happens is these movements though on different sides you know the u.s movement particularly emboldens movements in other countries you know which we wouldn't like to be the case but again it's an output of colonialism you know and imperialism because people are always looking to the us and europe for guidance on what to do and that also includes you know africans as well whether or not we like it and i think that when people 
look to America and sort of see this intense polarization with the trans debates going on one side when they look at figureheads like I wouldn't even mention their names, but we know the people at the forefront, the famous author at the forefront of like this kind of rhetoric. Mm. Um, they get it sort of legitimizes their message mm. and their cause, right? Nobody's even fighting for trans rights in Uganda yet. Um, or nobody's fighting against trans rights. What they're fighting against is are homosexuals. But they kind of see themselves similarly in that the both both panics are sort of created and sustained around mm. children. Mm. Caleb, I got two more questions before letting you go. Again, not only that your article covers the nation of Uganda, and also you mentioned the country of Nigeria as well, and of course this is something that you're much more familiar. We know recently this country just elected another brand new president, but he's, again, when we follow this political change, number one, this election caused a firestorm worldwide. So again, everyone is paying attention to the election in Nigeria. Now, my first question is, why do you think this election was so critical and it drew the attention worldwide? Did it have something to do with what we called those social issues or it's only about political reasons? But again, given the fact, as we mentioned before today, we can talk about politics while putting the social movement or pu putting the social concern on the side. We know it's we're, we're not living in the, uh, in the centuries of 1700, but we're in the 2023. So again, Caleb, help us to understand what was the significance of the election in Nigeria recently? Was it about social movement? or was about another political shift that is going to take place what do you think it's it's definitely a, 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 like a lot about um social movements mm. um it's not unconnected if if, if 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 not a lot and there's so many factors at play right the, the very major thing i think that happened in this election is that for the first time we had um like it would have been my first time to vote if I was in Nigeria, but I wasn't. I was mm. in school mm. in the US. Mm. But it would be my first time to vote because I'm a Gen Z, right? And so for many people like me who are Gen Zers in Nigeria, it was their first time to vote, mm. right? And they were also galvanized by we had the NSAS protest in October 2020, which was a protest against a rogue police unit. For them also, and people like, like me, it was the first time we ever saw like the kind of like mass organizing in our entire life being mm. in Nigeria. And it was a major protest. It's probably the largest we've ever seen in the country. Not probably. Most definitely the largest social movement we've ever seen in Nigeria in the mm. history of the country, right? We, people protested at every single location in every single, in different states across the country. And I think all of those things, you know, and I don't know if you, 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 you know the story of how the protest ended, but, or ended quote unquote, was because the on the 20th of October, 2020, um soldiers opened fire on protesters mm. who were just like singing singing the national anthem and waving the nigerian flag and so killed people mm. and then denied killing people even though we all saw it happen on instagram live mm. so that's just crazy um and then eventually of course they said oh we killed 10 not 100 or we killed 20 not mm. basically how the military works everywhere else right but i think for all of us who were watching we were in such disbelief you know it was the first time we ever saw what you know what dictators you know even though they wouldn't regard themselves as such but what dictators do to people who dare to stand up or who dare to dissent you know mm -hmm. it's, it's they they try to unalive you mm -hmm. literally and i think that those those there was some anger in the ruling party from from that election there was some anger at the governor of lagos which is from the ruling party of nigeria when, when that happened there was some anger at the president um when that happened um and 
all of those things contributed to making this election what it was. You know, it was it literally, and I don't say it lightly, but literally was a fight for our lives. We're literally mm-hmm. fighting for our lives. And I think we all felt a certain kind of heartbreak, you know, when when the person we wanted to win didn't win. Um, again, because the person we wanted to win um, had a very stellar record of like, he was a previous, previous governor, mm-hmm. but he also seemed to connect to the young people a lot better, mm-hmm. right? His, his younger... He is smarter. He is the person we even elected to be president has like ex, has like previous drug like mm. a previous drug issue in, in the US. Like mm. he's been convicted of drug crimes in America, and yet he still was able to kind of like run for presidency, which shouldn't work, and which is sort of like part of what is being taken to the like they they're taking him to court or they're taking the whatever the electoral commission to court mm. and they sort of cite all of these reasons in their petition but i think what i'm trying to say is this election was so peculiar was so important because like, i think young nigerians were particularly fighting for their lives you know they were they realized i guess some of the things that our parents realized many years ago which is like the country would try to kill you if you try to sort of like disrupt the status quo mm. it was also massively rigged you know and there's evidence of that because again young people were um, there were like independent ways of sort of tracking the election results away from the official uh, electoral commission. So people would take photographs of their polling units and stuff like that. And what we would find is the results that I eventually released, you know, don't tally with what's like, mm. with like independent photos mm. taken, which I also verified. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I think in, in a, and I could go on, but like, like in a very short summary, those are the very reasons why I think the protests, of course, not to even mention the insecurity in the country mm. has like kicked. You know, I, I didn't even touch that, but you know, Nigeria has gotten periodically and greatly unsafe in the last eight years of this regime. Mm. Um, things, the economy has gotten incredibly worse. Um, things are a lot more expensive. I was there in July last year, and I just couldn't believe how much mm. bread costs now. Mm. You know, something so cheap previously, and we've had the most people leave Nigeria in the past year than ever before mm. like the greatest number of migrants ever and there's mostly young people again mm. caleb i want to wrap our conversation again by going back to uh, nigeria again as you mentioned that today the younger generations worldwide are actively participating in the social and the political movements now particularly again going back to nigeria right now we have a brand new president and how about the reaction from the younger generations and also the key question i wanted to uh, get your uh, take on that one is did younger generations or did the country find the right person in order to find better hope for the future or for the future of the country? So in other words, what can we expect from this new leader? Are we going to see any tangible or even uh, practical changes going to take place in the country of Nigeria? Well, I, I know for a fact, I mean, I didn't vote because I, I wasn't there. Mm. Um, but I, I know for a fact that at least in my circle, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody, but I know that in my circle and from social media, mm. you know, nobody voted this president. Mm. I mean, there's, there's definitely young people who did, you mm. know, but the overwhelming number of young people did not vote our current president, you know, and that says a lot already. Um, and I think there's there's something to be said about how you govern people mm. who don't want you to govern them. Mm. Um, so I don't expect very much. I honestly expect because his entire um, his entire campaign was like sort of built around it's been his turn to be president. He's been a governor before. Um, and he's also a notorious kingmaker, quote unquote, somebody who puts people in power. 
And so his entire reason for being president was just the fact that it's his turn, mm. you know, and there's, there's genuine concerns about things like his health, you know, he's been pictured um, being a bit uncoordinated in, in public. He's been mm. pictured falling um, and he's old and nobody even knows his real age, but even the age we know is still old, mm. you know, and I, and I don't think an old person should rule the country, but I think if, if, if you want to rule, then let people like elect you. And there's there's something very there's something very sinister to me about you know ruling people who didn't choose you or who the majority didn't choose you. It, mm. it actually scares me, you know, greatly. And and I think that I don't expect him to do very much. You know, he's also from a party that has led us the last eight years. Mm. And again, the president rules, but the party also rules along with them. So. If the party has kind of like put us in this black hole, it, it will be hard to see how he will take us out of it. Well, again, Caleb, right now it is still too early to tell how this country is going to bring forth. But again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Caleb. And again, Caleb, it's a Nigerian journalist and he's the co-founder and a managing editor at Minority Africa. I strongly encourage everyone go online to follow Caleb's publications. And mainly, again, the article is called How U.S. Evangelicals Help Homophobia Flourish in Africa. Caleb, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. It's been a pleasure and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and we'd love to to have you back on the show as we continue to follow what's happening not only in the continent of Africa, but also around the world. So thank you so much for doing this.